Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Today I'm going to be talking about uh, community groups, and the title of the sermon is Teamwork, because uh, community groups are like teams, and teams take work. Um, and just uh, th- this morning, I'm going to be talking some big ideas. Everybody say big ideas. All right, next week, I'm going to get into more of the specifics about how we do community groups, why you need to be a part of a community group at New Day. But th- this week, I just, I just need to, I want to communicate some big ideas about community and God's intention of building healthy community. And you know what? It starts at the beginning. In fact, every significant theological truth, we can find some aspect of it in that initial story in the Bible of Adam and Eve and creation. And, and, and here Adam, <laughs> you know, uh, God creates Adam and gives him the whole world, right? Did you know that? So he was there, the whole world. Uh, he literally ruled the world, okay? Everything in it was his. All the animals, he got to name all the animals. You know, Bob Dylan wrote a great song about that. Remember that? You don't remember Bob Dylan's song about? Oh, wow. Google it. (laughs) Seriously. Anyway. (laughs) Having the whole world, you'd think he'd have enough. But God said, you know what? It's not good for man, and that could be translated a human being. Because the word man or Adam in in Hebrew, literally means human. It wasn't until after the fall, after sin, after uh, the man and the woman were thrust out of the garden, that Eve was given a separate name. Prior to that, Adam was both, was was the manifestation, the, the, the image of God, recreated in the man and the woman. But at before the creation of the woman, um, Adam had everything, but it wasn't good. It wasn't good for him to be alone. And that's, the, that's a big idea, that it's not good for us to dwell alone and isolated. Okay? And of course, this leads to the next story where uh, Eve is created and it's the basis of marriage. But you know what? There's a, there's a bigger truth here. First of all, um, some of us may agree. Some of us may have different opinion. But marriage doesn't solve the problem of loneliness. <laughs> Gives you opportunities, but it doesn't really solve this problem. It sounds like it does, but it, it, you know, even in this story, it doesn't. Okay, it wasn't the end; it was actually just the beginning of the solution, because Adam and Eve were to recreate and reproduce and have children, and and ultimately that led to community. All right, it led to families that interacted and and and, and communities and villages and and, and people groups. That was the solution that 
in order for that to happen, there had to be a man and a woman so they could reproduce. And so this uh, idea of it not good to be alone is at the very core of, of who we are as created beings. All right? And you can own the whole world, and it's not good. Doesn't matter how many toys you have, doesn't matter how much money you have, doesn't matter how famous you are, doesn't matter. Because if you're not connected in healthy community, it's not good. And you need to be joined in a way that's intimate. Uh And that's the only way that we can be in the place where God calls us to be. We're made complete not by our belongings, but by belonging to one another. Amen? And if someone is disconnected from healthy community, is isolated in an extreme sense, you know what happens? They go crazy. You ever watched the movie Castaway? I know it's a really old movie now. With a volleyball? What was his name? You know that, but you don't know Bob Dylan's song? Jeez. The writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, most likely Solomon, uh, said, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. We need help to get through life. We really, really do. If someone uh, falls and is alone, they're in real trouble. Likewise, two people living close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a three-braided cord is not easily broken. And so this truth, this big idea that we need community is is written all throughout the whole uh, scripture, and it's just the truth uh, uh, of how we function as human beings. Healthy community, though, doesn't just happen. It requires work. Relational entropy is pervasive and must be intentionally overcome. And even in the creation story, we see this breakdown happened very, very quickly. Even with just Adam and Eve, pretty soon they're arguing over what they have for dinner. And she said, hey, look, there's a, there's a fruit right there. It looks pretty good to me. She tasted it and said, hey, it tastes good. And Adam, who was there with her, the Bible says, the whole time, it wasn't like Adam was out fishing. He was standing there. He knowingly, and willfully, Eve was deceived, Adam willfully took of the fruit that he knew that God had said not to eat. And that's where sin corrupts. But what happens next? What happens between Adam and Eve next? Before that, even. Before that. What God said... What are you doing? What did Adam say? It's her fault. She said, it's his fault. They were blaming each other. 
They were having an argument. He was like, how many times did I tell you not to eat that fruit? <laughs> so I was, she was like, I was sick of fixing your dinner. <laughs> I didn't force it on you. You took it out of my hand. Right? <laughs> See, we just have the Reader's Digest edited version in the Bible. All right? It was like a long argument. They were fighting. God finally had to set them apart and, and sent them out of the garden. So there was strife and division that quick as a result of sin. And furthermore, they were thrust out. They felt shame. So they were emotionally disconnected with themselves. The relationship with themselves was broken. The relationship with one another was broken. And, and even more importantly, and the root of it all, was that the relationship with their creator father was severed. And so for their good, they were thrust out of their home uh, to prevent them from being eternally stuck in the state of disconnection. And it begins the story of redemption, which is the rest of the Bible. Uh, <clears throat> additionally, we see their home life, their family destroyed very quickly. Right? Wow. Perfect Adam and Eve with the perfect parent, the father, and the paradise, their kids end up not being, you know, their oldest kid kind of went off the rails, didn't he? He killed his brother. Wow. And then he was thrust out of the community. The Bible says as a punishment, uh, God said to Cain, uh, no, matter, uh, no longer will the ground yield its crops to you, no matter how hard you work, from now on you will be a homeless wanderer on earth. And so the result of sin very quickly becomes breakdown in, in relationship, breakdown in community, relational entropy. Okay, Relational entropy works like any other form of entropy. It's a kind of a fancy word if you're not familiar with it. It means disorder and randomness that causes breakdown in anything. You ever have something just random happen that just messes up your day? Yeah. <laughs> That's called entropy. And then just, you know, when something breaks down, and my front tire and my motorcycle's worn out because it's just worn out. I, yeah, it's by, by being used. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but now it's just getting a little bit dangerous, <laughs> you know, which makes it a little more fun. But, you know, that's another story. <laughs> like, how long can I last on this? This is really stupid. I got to, it's like 500 bucks to replace a motorcycle tire. Did you know that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, entropy. Is, in fact, the guy who discovered it, the second law of thermodynamics says that entropy always increases with time. Okay, you know why? Because we live in a fallen universe. Sin broke it fundamentally, and so we have two opposing forces, the force of creation and order that flows from the life of God and the force of sin and destruction and darkness that opposes that. 
And so everything good that's created will break. Everything you own will break and will cost you money. All right? So get rid of everything. <laughs> and then it just is, you still break down because you, your body is part of the system. Relational entropy is that dynamic happening within a community. And in order to uh, oppose that negative, destructive force, it takes work. Okay? So community, the reason I call this sermon teamwork, is that community is being, community groups are, you know, it's your team that is working together to work against this force of relational entropy that brings breakdown and division. But you know what? It takes work. <laughs> you actually got to do something. You got to in, input. <clears throat> in order for teams to work, it takes work. That's why it's called teamwork. And to illustrate this in the context of family, we have a little it's kind of intense, so if you feel like you need to leave the room, I'll understand. Maybe dim the lights. Let's watch. Here. Here. Heads! Tails, thunks in. Positions. Okay. Thunk. Thank <laughs> you. 
So everyone had a role to play. They all had to work together, and they were committed to that, that egg, weren't they? Because they wanted to eat. <clears throat> um, and so that's a little illustration of the importance of working together to get dinner. Um, the church is now the means through which genuine community is to be formed. I really believe that. I Like, to the depths of my soul. I believe that every other solution that the world comes up with to try to solve the breakdown of society is doomed to fail because God has implemented a plan, and his plan is the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell itself will not prevail against it. Okay? Yeah, the church is meant to be the place where people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every ethnicity can come together as one body joined and find genuine community. Uh, Jesus actually was teaching, and his, his Mary, his mother, was outside of the crowd with his brothers. And uh, they said, Jesus, your mother and brothers want to speak to her, you. And uh, this is uh, Matthew 12, 47. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are, are outside and they want to speak to you. And he said, who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he pointed to his disciples and said, look, these are my mother. These are my brothers. Anyone who does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's a powerful statement of Jesus saying, listen, the family of God is now based on something different than natural family. It's based on union with Christ, doing the will of the Father. Paul explains this in depth in the book of Ephesus, or uh, the book of Ephesians, written to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 2.19. says, you Gentiles, those who were uh, outside of the family of God, uh, non-descendants of Abraham says, you, were, you are no longer a stranger, you being most of us probably in this room, um, or Gentiles. You're no longer strangers or foreigners. You're citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Right? Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the cornerstone being Christ Jesus himself. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of his dwelling where God lives by his spirit. What's, what is explained there in the theology, the understanding of church in the New Testament, as is explained, is that through the church, God is undoing all of the relational entropy that came into the world through sin. He's restoring a family, okay, that can live together, not only a family that can live together in unity despite differences, but a dwelling place for God. That was where the garden, that's what the garden was. That's where, where mankind interacted with their creator father. And now the church becomes the place of God's dwelling amongst his people. This is huge, folks. All right? It's a community based not on natural blood, not on ethnicity, race, or any worldly component, but on the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And that's why it's so important for each individual 
to come and, and express faith and that Jesus' death on the cross was payment for your sin and reconciled you to God through that faith. But that then joins you with the community, okay? That we are a community based on blood, but it's not natural blood. It is the blood of Jesus. Our faith is personal, but never private. It's personal in that you need to accept Jesus' death on the cross as applying to you. You need to submit to follow him, but you need to realize this is not a private thing. You are born into a community because, one, you need community to survive. Two, the community needs you. Okay? And three, God dwells in the community. All right? The dwelling place of God. And so being joined into this spiritual family, we have access to his presence in a way that mankind has not had since the garden. Through the church! It's astounding. It's amazing. I, I believe it. I don't understand it. I don't see the fullness of it. I'm like, I say this on a regular basis. God, what were you thinking? All right. But it's, this is the wisdom of God. Okay. The church is the, it displays the manifold wisdom of God to principalities and powers. It's the church. God is going to overthrow the devil and all of his minions and all of his plans with this group of disconnected yahoos. <laughs> Seriously. And in the end, God's going to win and said, look who I used to win. You know, and the devil's going to be openly shamed. He's going to, there's a, it says uh, something like a, a He's going to be ridiculed in a, a parade of, what's the actual verb? It slips my mind. I'll come, I'll think about it. <laughs> it's really close. The enemy is going to be paraded. It's like in the ancient times when a king would overthrow an enemy king, they would take the king and parade him through the town to ridicule. And, and that's basically what's happening to the devil trying to overtake mankind. And God's going to accomplish that through his army called the church. And that's you and I. All right? <clears throat> Healthy community, though, and this church, in order to be that solution, requires intimacy. Merely living in proximity close to one another doesn't get it. All right? You need intimacy. Most families, most communities, most churches are dysfunctional. They may gather together, but they don't have healthy community. All right? We were created as unique beings that in order to have intimacy, we need to be intimately connected to others. And I, I, this is actually the rest of today's message is stuff I teach to pastors and missionaries all over the world. And one of the things I teach is, you know, God made us in a particular way. He didn't make us reptiles. He could have. Okay? We could have been born in eggs, right? Uh, 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 and, and, I don't know, be fed bugs. We could have been ravens. <laughs> we won't go back there. But God 
created us to receive essential nourishment in our most fundamental formative years through intimate connection with another person. I think this is just amazing. Okay, why did God, this is very important, guys. You, we miss the biggest lessons because we take them for granted. And that, that cuddling that happens with breastfeeding is more than just the transfer of nutrients, because that happens. Even when the, a child is bottle-fed, they're cuddled, you know, and they're nursed in a way that there's that skin-on-skin contact. And they receive, and so there's a, there's a built-in association between intimacy, non-sexual intimacy, breastfeeding is not sexual, it's non-sexual intimacy uh, through which we receive nourishment. That's true in a physical sense, our physical nourishment, but that's, that's true for the, your whole life in every other sense. Emotional nourishment, spiritual nourishment, nourishment to, to, to not be lonely, nourishment for your soul comes through intimate connection with other people. Non-sexual. Unfortunately, see, the world twists this and, and sells a, a different version of this that says, you know, sexuality answers that need. No, it doesn't. In fact, uh, a sexuality outside covenant marriage destroys individuals, families, souls, and communities. All right? But underneath that, there is a truth. You need that intimate connection. And yes, as a child, you out, you, you're weaned, but you're still dependent on community for all your food, your natural resources, your, your, your protection for a long time until you become mature and you then are one of the providers for the others in the community that need help. All right? And so that basis of how we are created, how we are built to <clears throat> receive nourishment is supposed to teach us a lesson. You can't do it on your own. I don't care what all of the other people on the media say. You can go out and do it. No, no you can't. Well, you can make a bunch of money and drive a lot of fancy cars and maybe do a lot of cool stuff, but it won't meet your deepest needs. And frankly, the deepest need, I believe, in everyone is to meet the needs of others. All right? And you can't do that if you're, if you're selfish and just out to get everything for, your, for yourself. Does this make sense? It's being part of a community. Community groups, when done properly, is, is a vital way of meeting this most basic need. It's a, it, it's a very important, essential aspect of opposing relational entropy and building a church that will endure and thrive and grow and, and provide purpose and meaning for, for how many people in this community need connection to the, our Creator Father and one another? You guys remember? I used to say this number all the time. There's 250,000 people that live in the Kalamazoo market, Kalamazoo County. Okay, 250,000! All right. There's approximately 250 churches. I counted them. Seriously, I did. 
I called every, me and a few other friends. Uh, this was years ago. But you know what? The average attendance of a church is less than 100. It's actually about 50 to 70. And so there's, there's at least 100, 150,000 people within 20 minutes of where you're sitting right now that, has, that have no connection to a community, faith-based community, a church where the presence of God dwells. 150,000 people. They're just out there doing their thing, thinking everything's okay, and they're missing it, and it's you and I. And so we need to be healthy community so that we can function and uh, minister to the, our, our, ourselves, one another, but also our community. And there's three, there's another three big ideas. I'm going to go through these this fast because I'm running out of time. <laughs> but there's three essentials for creating healthy community that basically can't be done in a Sunday morning service. I've seen it. I've been a pastor for uh, 35 years, over 35 years. You know, people can come to church every Sunday and never be part of the community. All right? Because this is a spectator sport. You're in rows. All right, you come in, sit down, receive it, and go out. You might as well go to a movie. All right? Community groups give you the access point to go deeper. But you know what? It costs. It costs you time. It costs you energy. It costs you investment. It costs you relational, relational uh, resources. <clears throat> but they're essential. There's three things. Uh, that are, and this is something I didn't come up with. This is actually a, um, from a book that is written by a, a neuroscientist and their team. This particular book, it's a, it's a small book. It's a long title. I'm not going to share it with you. But it's, it's used by nearly every uh, recovery uh, ministry and or uh, business that, that helps addicts recover. It's, it's the fundamental, uh, theoretical, one of the theoretical basis for what we know as recovery ministry. Uh, and so they identified three things that are absolutely essential. This is the Christian version of that, and so it gets real clear. Um, but the, the three things, the first one is the weak and the strong are together and interacting. Weak and strong are together and interacting. In other words, if this isn't happening in a community, you will not have a healthy community. Guess what? Our society is set up opposite to this. Everything in society is set up to not function this way. All right? When a kid goes to school, are they put in with a multiple age group? No. They're divided by age and strength. Oh, there's special needs. They're in special classes, you know? So that right from the beginning, but even before that, we, uh, the whole society, because it's under, it's broken, okay? Uh, we divide, and strong people huddle together, and weak people huddle together, and that in and of itself is dysfunctional. Old people are separated from young people. came across this uh, thing online where this, this woman... <coughs> Young woman, she was like in her 20s, um, found a really affordable place to live in another country. She was going to go live in another country and, you know, be young. And thought it was cool, found a really cheap place, moved there, and it was a nursing home <laughs> for old people. And you know what? She was blown away because she loved it. 
And guess what? She was the most popular person in that community. Yeah, because old people need young people as much as young people need old people. All right? Because we, we need one another. This develops uh, a healthy community. And so, now, not all community groups are set up to be multiple generational, multi-generational, but this dynamic needs to happen. And so even if we have, like, young adult community groups and other community groups, we also, as a church, really strive to find ways to get the groups. Next week, we're having a church picnic so that everybody can be together, so that we can interact together, the weak and the strong. <clears throat> Another thing is um, um, this... Uh, idea of spiritual maturity. It's, it's true in natural maturity, age and development, but it's also true in spiritual maturity. And if, if not, if just left to its own course, spiritually strong people will isolate because they, they understand each other. They talk the same language or they're into worship or they're into the word and, you know, they like to do things. And then uh, uh, someone who's new to Christianity or not really, you know, they've never read the Bible, they don't know what the Bible is, they feel uncomfortable around these other people that are talking Christianese, and so they kind of get separated. That is the effect of relational entropy. That needs to be counteracted. Spiritually strong people need to recognize this and say, we need to go make relationship with these people, okay? And, and bring them to the place so there needs to be times and activities. Sure, you can go do the extreme spiritual thing from time to time, you know, but you need times where you, you, you're with others that, you know, don't have a clue or, or don't know what you know or haven't experienced the depths that you've experienced and, and share your life with them. And, and people that are weak need to let down their guard and open themselves up and, 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 and allow to themselves to uh, be connected with people that are on a different level. And so as pastors, we really strive, and this is just a, a, an essential dynamic and you can't do this on Sunday morning. There's just not enough time. At most, you shake hands. Or you might meet someone. You need time where you spend time together over months and years sharing life. And that's, that's what communities are meant to, to do. Uh, the goal is to develop a place and a pace for everyone. All right? There's somewhere everyone at whatever level of maturity or immaturity that they're at, they can plug in with those at different levels so that we can be a family. You know, for all of human history, families lived intergenerationally. In other words, grandma, like that video, you know, grandma was part of the team that, you know, she had the cane that could catch the egg. <laughs> my wife's grandmother, my wife's grandmother lived with us for 17 years. Right, Lewis? <laughs> you know, and it, it was a good experience. She would tell stories that she heard from her grandfather and her uncle of them fighting in the Civil War. She told those stories to my kids and Kathy and I time and time again. <laughs> the second thing is, Tender responses to weakness are the rule. Punishment is for rebellion, not weakness. Okay? This is really important. All right? So in a, in a community group, in a ch healthy church, 
someone makes a mistake, someone commits a sin, someone does something rude, someone is inconsiderate, you don't, you don't, you're not harsh. You're tender. You make allowances for one another's sin. The Bible actually says this. Um, <clears throat> Ephesians 4, Therefore I, a prisoner serving the Lord, beg you, Paul writes, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults. Okay, do you realize, do you claim that promise in Scripture for your life? Claim the pro- I feel like Joel Olstein. Claim the promise of Scripture for your life that you're going to experience other people's faults and they're going to experience yours. That's a pretty good Joel Osteen, isn't it? <laughs> that means when you're part of church you're going to get hurt because people are going to do stuff wrong and the bible says have an allowance for that in other words be ready for it and respond with humility and gentleness you can't do that if you don't know one another if all you're doing is seeing them on sunday morning hi how you doing good great good yeah yeah drive away fast But you meet together every week, every two weeks, and you share something intimate from one another's lives. You share prayer requests. You find out, you know, someone's doing something that their life's a mess. You have an opportunity to respond. Your life's a mess. They have an opportunity to respond. That's healthy community. And we we develop a, a gentle, tender responses so that people know that they're not going to be rejected. They're going to be welcomed. Why? Because we have grace through the blood of Christ to overcome all of those weaknesses and all of those errors. We have have a substance, all right, faith that we we can use to cause lives, our own and others, to be transformed. But you can't do that if you don't invest yourself in other people's lives. And if you don't allow other people to invest in you, right? You must break through that barrier. And it's a barrier that the world has, has, has built. It's like a fortress. The church is the instrument of God to undo that and, to, and allow us to connect on an intimate level to receive emotional, spiritual nourishment that we absolutely... The world is starving for this starving and we are the source we need to learn how to do it with one another the third essential ingredients and i love the way this guy this neuroscientist writes it because i think it's kind of funny um this is how he writes it the interactive presence of god emmanuel maintaining shalom (laughs) when i first read the book i was like what's this guy talking about And then I realized, oh, the interactive presence of God, Emmanuel, God with us, maintaining shalom. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace. It doesn't mean just the absence of conflict. It means the abundance of all things. Oh, thanks. The interactive presence. Well, that's that's his Holy Ghost. 
Okay, we're a charismatic church. Maybe you didn't know that. Okay, we're a church that welcomes the Holy Ghost in all of his uh, expressions and believe Holy Spirit is present right here, right now. Okay, and we, we celebrate that. And so this actually should be really easy for anyone familiar with the, the moving and the working of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Ephesians also talks about this. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, even as you're called and one hope of your calling. Okay, that it's the Holy Spirit. And so what's essential? Essential is the weak and the strong and multi-generational, doing life together, tender responses to weakness, and the living, active presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's what community groups are meant to be. Small versus weak. We, we try to nurture that on Sunday morning in large group gatherings, but there's just a limit that you can do. Another place that says this is Romans 14. I'll end with this verse. You're all familiar with this. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, right? But who knows the rest of the verse? Righteousness, you all should have known this. <clears throat> Romans 14, 17 through 19, memorize it. The, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not just stuff you get obtained through the world, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you realize that righteousness, peace, and joy are all relational? You cannot have any one of those apart from a relational uh, aspect, okay? Because righteousness is being right in right relationship. That would be the best translation, in my opinion, of the biblical term righteousness, is being in right relationship with God, right relationship with others, right relationship with yourself, all right? You can't be in right relationship if you're not in relationship. Peace is 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 not having conflict, but having abundance of, in a community setting. You can't have peace if you're isolated. And joy is relational. And if you don't know that, I have a whole series on it. But I can't go now because I, got, I ran out of time. Anyway, that's the righteousness, peace, and joy. That's the kingdom of God. And we need to develop. Next week, I'm going to go into more specifics of how we will uh, strive to meet these needs in a community group setting. Thank you. Kathy, would you close? So, Father, I just, um, I thank you that you created us to be in community. And you created the church to bring us into a place where we wouldn't be lonely, but that we would be known and we would know others. Father, so many of us have experiences of where we're afraid to show ourselves, afraid to, to reveal our fears, anxieties, sins, and shortcomings. We want to be a people who are gracious to one another, that we do show each other tender mercies. And most of all, we can be honest with you about who we are. And I thank you, Father, for, for just teaching us and bringing us along and loving us where we're at and yet having um, so much more in store for us. There is a hope for more 
a hope for maturity and growth, learning and wisdom. And I thank you for all those things in Jesus' name. Amen.